This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by Ironworkers Local 401, Boilermakers Local 13, Plumbers Local 690, and IBEW Local 98. Choose a Local 98 contractor. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Back everyone to the Labor Show with Jay Doc and Krause as we come to you on a Saturday here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, good start to a two-hour energy special, Jay Doc, and coming out of the last two segments, even going back to the kickoff of the show, the one thing that I'm realizing as I sit here and just listen to what's being said is the amount of lives that will be affected is just amazing. We're going to transition into Adam Gattuso from Monroe Energy is going to join us. Adam is in uh, charge of government affairs and communications. And Mike Hackendorn, VP Delaware Building Trades, also the business business manager of Steamfitters Local 74. So we're going to create an enhanced look at what we're talking about. And we're going to deal with it in a lot of different ways. Yeah, we're going to talk about the front lines. Um, Certainly, first of all, gentlemen, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, Mike, let's start off um, with yourself. You have a a major workforce uh, that's working in these refineries. Uh, Talk about, A, who you represent, what they do in in, in the refineries, and and the the potential impact uh, if this goes the wrong way. Uh, Yeah, I just want to thank you guys for having us on the show today. I appreciate you guys getting this together. And... uh, and you know, having this broadcast from Delaware City because it's it's a very important subject. If you guys, did, you know, have have heard from our you know previous um, the, pe- the folks who were on b- before me. Sure. Um, I, I am Mike Hackendorn. I, I rep- I'm the business manager of Local 74 for the pipe fitters here in Delaware, uh, and also the vice president of Delaware Building Trades. I represent uh, 4,200 members of Building Trades. Various Building Trades. Uh, there's 25 uh, Building Trades right now uh, members in in that in that group. Um, and this is this refinery has been the backbone of the Delaware Building Trades in, in my local union for for over seventy years. Um, you know, just a, a little quick background about myself. You know, I'm a third generation pipe fitter, and um, and there's a lot of people that have the same story that I do. You know, both my grandfathers worked in this refinery. Um, my father worked here. Myself before I moved up to union leadership, and uh, this has put a lot of food. And uh, on a lot of people's tables around this area in the local economy, um, you know, as far as the building trades is concerned, you know, this is one of the last union refineries left in the region. Um, you know, we have ourselves in Monroe Road or up to the north of us in, in Philadelphia. Uh, Paulsboro is all about shut down now. They're still running some units, I understand, but you know, they're. These are good paying, the people got to understand, the, the listening community out there got to understand, these are good paying jobs with good union jobs with benefits where you can sustain, raise a family, possibly send your kids to college. In the same community that you're working. That's right, Joe. And in the same community you're working and, you know, and, you know, nowadays it's a good thing to talk about apprenticeship programs now, you know, and people want to say, we need to get more people in the trades and we need to, you know, build back better. We're talking about infrastructure and the administration right now. And 
you know, this is where these jobs are. And what's important about it, that is, is that and when you talk about good paying jobs, they, they sustain jobs in the community. It's a tax base. I, we, we've seen, and, and we have Joe Krause and I, and, and, and uh, John Bland, and you know, we do a, a lot of the labor leaders in our community. We talk about often the, the difference between um, union and non-union. And um, one of those thoughts processes are that, that you know you have a number of non-union employers whether it's refinery or anything, where you have individuals who are working there that are not making a sustain uh, a wage, uh, a family raising wage, that cannot even afford to live in the same community that they're working in. I mean, we've had individuals come up to Philly. You know, we've seen, they were all staying in the same hotel room because they, they couldn't afford to li- live in the area. They were they were busting themselves up. That's why when you talk about that, I want the people to understand that these are good jobs, their community, that, 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 that the individuals who work here live in the community, it, 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 it maintains the tax base, and there's a lot on the line. There's a, there's a lot on the line. I mean, as we speak right now, right behind us in the refinery, there's, there's a, a shutdown going on right now, and there's probably close to five, 600 building trades members in there working today as we speak. Um, these shutdowns and, and the maintenance of these refineries, not just in Delaware, like I said, to discuss the other refineries in other states and the neighboring states, they're important. They're, they're so important to, to what we do and to each local union. And, you know, there's years when, when there is a lot of work going on here with some of the capital, capital projects that the that PBF does and, and some turnarounds, scheduled turnarounds that they do that we may generate, Local 74 alone may generate a third to maybe 40% of our hours for the year from this refinery. That it, it's, it's unbelievable the amount, how important this, this refinery is to the community, to the state of Delaware. Uh, I also would like to add that PBF refinery, you know, if I can about Delaware. Please. PBF refinery is the second largest employer in the state of Delaware. So... Not a, just take that out of the equation. Can you imagine if you lost the second largest employer in the state of Delaware? What would happen? Yeah. The ripple effect down or how many jobs would be lost, not just inside the refinery. Right. And what's really bad about it is it, 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 it doesn't have to happen. It's happening right under our noses. There's solutions. And it's become a situation where there's winners and losers unnecessarily, and people don't know about it. That's It's ridiculous. It's, that, that, that's very true. And, and, and I'm glad we're getting it out there, getting the word out there. Jay Duck, let me know before we Please. transition to Adam Gattuso. Let me remind the listening audience. Let me ask them to just do the math again. We talked about it with Herman in the last segment. Do the math. Yeah. Think about we'll it. Well, throw that, those statistics of the workers that would, uh, in the second largest employer in the state of Delaware, um, it, it, you know, t- include them in it now. And the math, the, you know, it, it even if gets the worse. math doesn't get corrected, the refinery can't continue. Yeah. If the refinery can't continue, the second largest employer in the state of Delaware is out of business. The ripple effect of that is staggering. And I hope the audience gets that. That's why we're doing the show. Adam Gattuso, Monroe Energy, Government Affairs and Communication. Adam, thank you uh, for being here. And uh, you've had the ability from jump to be able to listen to the conversation uh, so far. Great stuff, Mike, by the way. Thank you so much uh, as well. Um, Adam, let me give you open floor instead of a question to just weigh in on this. And then we'll get into uh, a little bit of dialogue. But the numbers are staggering. The implications are scary as hell. 
tell. Um, and I just hope that the public continues to know or learn or observe what we're trying to get them to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jay Doc and Krause, thanks again for having me uh, back again to talk about this important issue. And to just kind of add on to, to what Mike had just brought up, um, when you go back to 2011, when three refineries announced closure in southeastern Pennsylvania, um, I was a governor's regional director at the time. Right. And um, I saw firsthand what the devastation was when three refineries announced closure all at the same time. I'm afraid if something doesn't get done to fix the problem, that nightmare could repeat itself. And, and it's extremely scary about what it will do to not only our workforce, but to the local communities and people at large. Um, at the time, Pennsylvania Department of Labor conducted a study, and what they found was that for every lost refinery job, um, 16, uh, excuse me, 18.1 jobs in the community, 22 in the state, and 61 across the nation would, would actually lose their job for every lost refinery job. So it's obviously about the direct workers that work at these plants and our friends at the building trades, but it goes well beyond the fence line. It affects every community and every facet of, of this region. So it's vitally important to get something across the finish line soon. No, no question about it. Uh, you, know, you know, Monroe is getting impacted. You know, and, and the potential is unbelievable. Talk about the the, the workforce at Monroe and how many individuals uh, are there, and how it would you know in 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 relation to what you have here um, in Delaware. It's it's pretty heavy. Sure, absolutely. We, we have about 500 direct employees, and when you use that multiplier effect, you, you, you quickly see how R1 refinery really affects over 9,000 jobs right in the region. Um, these, as Mike has explained, these are family-sustaining jobs. These are the jobs that everybody wants to have a shot out in their lifetime. And it's a way of life for multiple generations. I know at our plan alone that we have second, third, and fourth generation uh, workers at our at our refinery. This is this is the industry some families have. It's the only industry some families have ever known, um, and and it's really important to them. It's interesting because John Bland and, and I have talked really for hours and hours on the phone about this and directly, and um, you're you're looking at at a very scary situation in the eye, um, and in the and as a sense we're trying to, we're trying to call individuals to the mat. Um, what do the workers? Uh, you know, what is their sentiment? And I'll go. You know, I'll go to Mike first. But you know, um, do they understand the magnitude of what's potentially there? And what support are we getting from all the other building trades that are that are not? Uh, you know, typically, you know, you know, at the at the refinery at the level that the fitters are, and of course at the boilermakers. Uh, yes, I, I do. I do think our members are are in tune of what's going on here, um, but. I think one of the, the biggest problems we have is, you know, like, like Merman, Herman said earlier, you know, this, this issue was very hard to get out to the public and it's a very complicated thing for people to understand. It, it took me several meetings with Herman, and he knows this inside and out, uh, to really get a grasp on, because there's so many moving parts to this whole... What are you talking commodities? You're talking, yeah, I mean... You know, it, it, so... For us to get it out there and get it to the community and, and, and talk to our, you know, our congressional delegation and talk to, you know, our governors and, and, and the people in the community, we're, we're getting uh, good, good feedback from the FLCIO of Delaware and uh, what we've done uh, here recently in the last, what, four to 
four to six months, we've we've kind of tried to attack this through not just Delaware doing their own thing in Pennsylvania and Jersey. We've come together as a region because it's important we do that. We feel that what we're what you guys are doing today with this radio show, okay, it's because it does affect all of us. And I think if if we're all going at it together, that's our best shot to get this done because. As you say, it, you know, if we do, if we don't get this figured out, if we don't get help from our administration and our, you know, our leaders, at, you know, in, in D.C. and and and, you know, this could be a, a devastating to the whole region, to the whole region, really. And uh, I think that, you know, I, I should have mentioned earlier, you know, other than the building trades and the folks who work in PBF have their own employees here, uh, the, the steel workers also. There's, I don't know, five, six hundred steel workers that work here on, on top of that full-time basis that also work at Delaware Refinery and at the other various refineries we have in the Northeast, the few that we have left. Um, so it's not just impacting the contractors and the building trades. It's impacting everyone. So, Adam, you gave me a list of, of, of individuals who have you know, supported, you know, provided support uh, for the issue. Um, and you have quotes. I mean, there are quotes here, obviously, from Senator Bob Casey. Uh, I mean, it, this is a, a bipartisan support. You have um, individuals, labor leaders, uh, you know, obviously congressional members uh, from Delaware, from Pennsylvania, from New Jersey. Uh, what is the timetable here uh, in, in, in regards to impacting this issue? Uh, how much pressure is being put in Washington, D.C., especially, uh, you know, with the, on the EPA and obviously on the White House? Well, I th you know, we're doing everything we possibly can to bring light to this important issue because it means so much to so many people, as we've heard across the board today. You know, one of the things we, a, a great, I'm going to say a great resource for people to go to, to learn a little bit more about the issue and to see kind of the breadth and depth of the bipartisan support and, and, and the large reach of support that we have on this issue is going to feelingusjobs.com. That's our, our coalition's website to bring light to this important issue. I think that's a, an important first step for people to go get involved. But when you look at that list of folks that have added their voice to it, it's, it's things like chambers, right? Because this, this is an issue that will directly affect those members. Uh, 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 the Pennsylvania, Delaware, and New Jersey uh, chemistry industry councils. Why? Because the byproducts that we make at this refinery, right? All these refineries provide the 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 the, the minute things that you need for everyday life. Either your iPhone, your N95 mask. You know, as the congressman said previously, these are important energy and national security facilities. Um, and, and the things that we make at these refineries and the byproducts that come from these refineries make everyday life possible for I mean, everybody. I'm looking at this list. You have um, individuals that have probably never been on a list together before. Uh, you know, you talk about Chambers of Commerce. You're talking about Senator Pat Toomey, Governor Tom Wolf, uh, Governor Phil Murphy, Senator Bob Casey. That's just the, the, the political leaders. Um, there's a great cross-section of, of, of our leadership here that, uh, and again, it's bipartisan, that, that is so supporting this. We just need the general public to, 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 to impact this thing and everybody to understand what's going on and how it's going to affect them. It's the Labor Show with Jadoc and Krause as we come to you on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Adam, one more time, let me have that website, um, the informational website where we can direct people. Sure, it's uh, fuelingusjobs.com. Well, I will tell you this, I would love to post the podcast of this two-hour special 
on that website. You tell me what I need to do, and we'll chop this audio up. We'll eliminate J. Doc out of the conversation, <laughs> um, but we'll get this audio out so people can consume. Really good stuff. Adam Gattuso, Monroe Energy, Government Affairs and Communications. Mike Hackendorn, well done, Michael. Thank you, uh, and thanks to your grandfathers and everybody in your family as well. Mike is the VP of Delaware Building Trades and also the business manager of Steamfitters Local 74. We'll continue on here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Back in a moment. Portions of tonight's edition of The Labor Show are sponsored by IBEW Local 98 North, UFCW 1776, and Sheet Metal Workers Local 19. Today's program has been pre-recorded. This whole nonsense about not giving workers the right to organize with so-called right to work, that's bad. Something like that comes to my desk, I'll be to it, not just because I'm a Democrat, not just because I'm pro-labor, but because I know for a fact that's not very smart. And back here on this two-hour special, J-Doc, a two-hour energy show uh, as we come from Delaware. Um, I really hope that the listening audience um, really does consume this information. You know, Adam talked about, Adam and Mike talked about a coalition between Pennsylvania, Delaware, and New Jersey. Listen. I'm thankful we're broadcasting on Talk Radio 1210 right now. It's a monster radio station. It's a 50,000-watt stick. You can hear it in Jersey, you can hear it in Delaware, and you can hear it in Pennsylvania. I hope all the residents of all three states pick up something from this broadcast today. Well, I hope they pick up that they're that, that they're, we're in quicksand, and if we don't yeah. do something quickly. Something needs to be done fast. Yeah. yeah. If we're, right now, more than ever, how many times do you hear people, your neighbors, your family talking about the, the, the gas prices? We can do something about that. And it's important to, to understand to break it down. Um, let's recap. Obviously, um, Brendan Williams is uh, we're, we're bringing back on the broadcast, and and and, and um, Herman Seardoff and and uh, gentlemen, we started the broadcast talking, you know, about acronyms such as RINs, renewable identification number, and RFS, renewable fuel standard, and and, and terms like that that, that people they don't realize it doesn't mean anything to them right. if they don't understand what it's about. Okay. Alphabet um, Unfortunately, these situations costs are going through the. Uh, Recap, if you would, uh, Brendan, uh, what the situation is for anybody who didn't hear it in the first hour, um, how this is going to impact us. But then I want you to talk about what the cause is. Sure. Uh, you know, t- talk about why we're into this situation we're at. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the situation is there's a federal mandate to blend a certain amount of biofuel into the fuel supply. That refineries provide. That refineries provide. So what you put in your gas tank isn't just what comes out of the refinery, that has to be sent towards a population center where all the gasoline demand is. If you're driving by on the highway, you see those big tank farms, you know, those massive terminals. A lot of times those are the places where the product that we make here at the refinery gets shipped in a pipeline and ends up there and gets mixed with stuff before it hits your gas tank. So, so is that how th- different uh, brands of gasoline kind of make their, you know, create their individual brand? They put a specific amount of ethanol in it, or somebody else will, will do a different type? I mean, how's that work? Is, is yeah, that so, yeah, so, you know, what um, refineries make now is called a BOB. It's a kind of an antiquated term. It stands for blend stock for oxygenated blending. But All you need to know is it's the petroleum portion of what you put in your gas tank. It goes to one of these big distribution terminals, and people have different additives that they say do different things. You might have ethanol. There's different components that make finished gasoline. Different regions have different fuel specifications, so sometimes that comes into play. 
uh, and uh, and that's the, and the brand. There are you know everybody sees our industry as kind of like a monolithic unit that everybody is a, a quote unquote big oil company that does everything from take oil out of the ground to sure. manufacture it into products to sell it at your retail station. The it's reality compartmentalized. is exactly the reality is there are a handful of companies that do that. But there are also a lot of companies like PBF Energy that are just in one specific part of that supply chain. So we just, we're not taking any oil out of the ground. We're buying it. We're manufacturing it into products you use for your life every day. And then we're sending it on to someone else who's going to determine where it actually goes, whether it, maybe it's a trader that decides they need a gasoline inventory in case of an emergency. Maybe it's um, a big retail chain. It could be another oil company, right? It could be a lot of other folks, but other people who control eventually on the fuel side, what gets mixed into it and the delivery to the retail station, the last mile there. Uh, and so, uh, as I mentioned, some cases, there's companies that, so, so com- that are in every portion of that supply chain. We're in a very specific portion. Uh, and, and the way this mandate is structured, the fact that companies like a PBF don't own or control positions at some of these large distribution terminals, which is the only place where you can actually put the biofuel. So, and that's that's important when it comes to this program. Now, there are solutions um, that going on in California, right? In other words, um, just obviously it's a complicated process, but um, talk about what they're doing in California that creates more of a level playing ground. Sure. So, with the with the federal standard. As I mentioned before, it mandates a certain amount of biofuel in the fuel supply. Uh, how you comply is when that biofuel gets mixed with gasoline at these terminals I was just talking about, these credits come off. And all refiners, even if you're not in that part of the business, have to collect these credits for compliance. I assume it's noon. Hmm. Herman, that alarm that goes off at noontime mm-hmm. uh, every day happens... When? Every day at noon and why? It's just a test of the alarm system, just to make sure that it's working. All right, well. And that alarm goes off Monday through Friday, Monday through Sunday? It uh, goes off uh, uh, every day. 365. Here's to always hearing the alarm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a- abso- that. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, as, as I was mentioning, the problem with the federal program for mandating alternative fuel. There's two problems. One, it was written at a time when the energy landscape was completely different. So they thought we'd just be continuing to have gasoline demand increasing, increasing, and increasing. They didn't expect a pandemic. Of right. And we had a, first, we had the recession in 2008, and fuel economy accelerated, and then we had the pandemic. So um, the volume of ethanol that is required to be blended into the fuel supply is actually greater than your engine or your gas pump were built to handle. You put too much in it, it starts eating away at pipes and everything. So uh, so that's the first problem. Then you have this credit system where refiners like PBF, who don't actually control this fuel getting to the consumer and where this biofuel is blended, they have to get you know, the same amount of these credits as everybody else, even companies that are in every single portion of the supply chain. There are companies that just do the blending, and they don't have any kind of requirement whatsoever. That is not the case in California, per your question just a second ago. In California, it's a different program. It's called a low-carbon fuel standard, and it's based on percentage carbon reduction in the fuel supply. But without getting into the details, 
they actually have the point of compliance or the point of regulation. The people responsible for meeting the standard are the ones who are eventually, who are the last link in the chain before the fuel gets actually introduced to the consumer. Uh, and because of that, it's a level playing field. So you don't have uh, companies upstream of the supply chain that don't control access to the consumer beholden to companies that do. Um, it's a level playing field. Yeah. So, so when we talk about, uh, and we'll bring Herman Sirdorf back into the uh, broadcast, we talk about you know some of the solutions here. We we we, we the consequences are obvious. Uh, obviously, you know the the, the you know massive potential to to have our refineries shut down. Number one, and number two, uh, a massive loss of jobs, impact on our communities. Uh, and 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 so on. So those are those are devastating consequences, but the fixes aren't all that complicated. I yeah. mean, the, the administration in Washington needs to uh, adjust the RFS standard that the, you know, to, you know, specifically in the short term. Um, one of the you know and and and, and Brendan, you you brought up um, the shave one billion gallons off the RFS ethanol requirement for last year, another billion gallon reduction for this year, and the same adjustment for 2022. Um, and then, of course, over the long haul, making the major oil companies who control their biofuel, uh, who control where their biofuel is blended, uh, responsible for complying with the RFS. Yep. Doesn't sound like we, you know we, we it, it, you know we're writing a book here. It, it, the solutions are right in front of our face. No, and uh, that that's the that's a key point, uh, uh, Doc. The program is complicated, but the, the fixes are simple. Uh, the short-term fix is, as I said when we first talked about this, the federal government every year sets the what, what uh, Brendan was talking about, the obligation for how much needs to be blended. And when, uh, when you set that obligation, it determines what the demand will be for these RINs. And so if you're practically not blending a certain uh, that amount of uh, biofuels into the uh, gasoline and diesel pools because demand is down. You've had a pandemic, whatever, which is all what we've had. You adjust the supply in by saying, "Okay, my my volume obligation that the EPA gets to set every year. I'm going to lower it so supply and demand is in balance." That can be done immediately, simply, and that's the short term fix. The longer-term fix, so you don't have to do this every year to get this supply-demand imbalance, is to do what Brendan said that California does, is make the obligated parties to turn in the RINs to the EPA, the people who actually get it when they blend it. So I've just blended something. I've generated a RIN. I turn it in. It's over. It's you're it's out. A very you're out of the process. It's a simple process. What 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 is stopping such? This? Obviously, the conditions were different when this was created. Obviously, uh, you know, no one anticipated that. You know, a, uh, you, you can never. Uh, you know, uh, the economy went down the tubes, and then of course the pandemic, which nobody uh, saw. Right. Did, did this sort of take a uh, become an animal on its own, and then take a, take a totally different shape? And, and 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 in a sense, it's making it difficult to go backwards. Definitely, definitely. Look, you. Have have the the market for these credits went from three billion nationally, which is a hefty sum, to thirty billion dollars. When you have people changing thirty billion dollars yeah. around, you got right. a lot of moneyed interests invested in the system. Uh, so that's one issue. The other issue is a really complicated program. And when the law was passed, if you look at what they thought the energy landscape would look like now versus what they thought back then, 
then that might have worked. But people's, you know, people get locked into a situation. There, in the Midwest, there are some folks that think, well, this really affects the demand of corn, and if they do anything to adjust the standard, then we're not going to use ethanol anymore. But that's not the case. We've seen the credits, the price of these credits, fluctuate thousands of percent, and the percentage of ethanol blended into the gasoline supply last year. And during the course of last year, these credits went up a thousand percent. You know, they started at ten cents, ended at a dollar. Was the exact same as it was in 2019 when the credits averaged a thousand percent less. Yeah, I mean, it, what's 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 crazy about it, it's almost like we're eating ourselves alive. We're, we're, we potentially have the opportunity. You know, we could impact our national security, our jobs, everything. Right. Uh, but because money's on the line in some other areas, uh, but that by the way, before this was created, didn't have that uh, that revenue. Now all of a sudden, it's taken. Like you said, it's going to thirty billion dollars, and it's and it's about revenues and and, and money. Um, what about losing our tax base, our jobs, our refineries, and potentially our um, our fuel? supplies and and then ultimately uh, being being um, submissive to foreign entities who we could some uh, at some point go to go to war with not to mention you know what, what about uh, you know our, our fuel for our airplanes yeah, what about exactly. I mean the cars and, and where it's going to hit us really hard at home uh, going to the, going, going to the gas station and, and and that's that's certainly you know that's something that we could that actually hits us on a daily basis but my god I mean at what point won't we go back you know what will we protect ourselves nationally in our national security. Herman Seedorf, as we go to the break, I'll give you last word. And I, I preface it going back to you by saying this. The buck stops at your desk. There's a lot of weight on your shoulder to get someone in Washington to, to move the needle back in your favor. Back in our favor. Back in everyone's favor. Can, yep. can, can you get it done? Can we get it? We have to get it done. Yeah. So that's that's the bottom line. You know, when we keep talking about winners and losers on this on this this issue, for the winners, the current winners, this is just about how much money that they're going to that they exactly for the losers, and the losers are two. It's merchant refiners. It's survivability. So we're trying to survive. They're on their end. They're trying to just retain how much money they're making off this program. And of course, the other loser is the consumer who doesn't even know they're losing. Yeah, well said, well stated. Back in a moment. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by Sprinkler Fitters Local 692, Laborers District Council, and Steam Fitters Local 420. Today's program has been pre-recorded. We're going to try to work with Republicans in a bipartisan way to find solutions to what really is not working. I'm back here on The Labor Show with Jadock and Krause. We thank everybody for tuning in. It's our two-hour energy special. Man, we've covered a lot of ground. We're going to continue and roll to uh, the top of the hour here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Adam Gattuso from Monroe Energy in charge of government affairs and communication will bring uh, Adam back into uh, the conversation. Uh, and then we're going to add two new guests, Doc as well, Mike Karlovich, the Vice President of Communication at PBF uh, Energy. Mike, welcome. Thank you yeah. for being here. 
and then Mike Capone uh, is with us. Mike is the refinery manager, Delaware City Refinery Company, where we are broadcasting uh, to you from uh, Delaware City. Uh, Adam, let me start with you. You heard Herman Seedorf, who sits at the very top of the food chain here with a lot of weight on his shoulders wanting to get something done, the need to get it done, the need to get it now, and I know that coalition, that's the objective. No, absolutely. I think Herman said it well, and uh, yeah, here at Monroe, we feel the same uh, sense of pressure, not only for the folks that uh, directly work from Monroe, but our friends at the building trades and so many other folks that depend on the refinery for their livelihoods. I think to put it to, into further perspective, you know, the difference between a, 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 a two-cent RIN and a $2 RIN for a company like Monroe Energy is actually double the purchase price of our entire company. So kind of think about that for a second. At a $2 RIN, it will cost us over double the purchase price of a whole company just to comply with a federal program. That is not a winning business model when you think about it. And I don't think that's what Congress really intended when they developed this program. As Herman said earlier, this was never supposed to be a, a commodity where people could really exploit and, and generate many, many millions of dollars on it uh, each and every year. This was supposed to be a minute transactional cost to cover uh, expenses when it came to record keeping and maybe hiring an additional person. So. The fact that people have figured out ways to monopolize this system and, and kind of turn it into something that it's not is actually putting many thousands of people's livelihoods in jeopardy. And that's really our mission, is to do everything we can to make sure that we, uh, we protect those good-paying jobs and those family wage-sustaining jobs that everybody wants. Uh, you talk about that and, and, and the sense of urgency. Is it only coming, do you feel like it's only coming with, with, within the, this particular industry? I mean, because it seems like it's fairly common sense that, okay, we, there's a problem here. You know, we, can, we need to remedy this yesterday. Uh, individuals are paying billions and billions of dollars in a competitive market, and, and, and uh, they're, they're, their backs are going to break if we don't do something soon. Do you sense any urgency from anywhere else but where, you know, within this industry? Well, you know what? I, I think one of the things we talked about a little bit earlier, Jay Doc, was was that uh, document that, that you had referenced with all the quotes on there. When you look at the breadth and depth of folks that, that have put their names to a letter to either the president or the EPA administrator saying that this is a problem for them and their members that, that they may represent, whether it's an elected official, whether it's a, a business manager, or whether it's a, an association, people are starting to catch on. The problem is, is that we can't wait two or three or four years to get it done. We need to get it done now. You're going underwater. You can't breathe. There's no oxygen down there. And if somebody doesn't help soon, you're going to suffocate. And and there is a sense of urgency. And there's other people. Like the good, the real problem I also see is the fact that there's winners and losers. Let me let me bring in Mike Karlovic. Mike, how are you, sir? Great. Thank you very much, Jada. Well, weigh in a little bit. Talk about you know you know how how you feel about this and 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 uh, what's on your mind. Well, you. You know, this is one of those really interesting topics that make people's eyes glaze over because they're so complicated. But when you take it down to a common denominator, like ticket scalping, yeah. uh, as Brendan mentioned earlier, you know, that uh, there's a supply and demand, and if, uh, and if you could... In, 
increase the va value somehow, uh, it, it plays to the interest of those holding these RINs, and they could be anybody, anybody. And in fact, you know, th uh, there's been fraud, there's been uh, d different shows like American Greed have uh, covered this. Sure. Bloomberg has covered the fraud uh, at length. Uh, the fake factory that makes real money. The people that and, are making money. Right. You, you, you're trying to convey to them, look, this isn't what this was created for. You're going to cripple an entire industry and communities. So when you take something that was really a serial number uh, to go with each gallon of ethanol and then turn it into a commodity that's unregulated, then it, it's just ripe for the picking. Uh, whether it's the in inflationary prices that we saw back in 2013 and again this summer when, as it's been mentioned many times, went up to $2. And so, you know, the, the, the average American is clueless on this. Sure. Uh, and most people, because it's so complicated, are, are uninterested. You know, sure. Uh, you know, members of Congress, they just, if, if they're not from a, a district that's affected, it's... They sort of glaze their eyes over, and then and fail to think that this this affects every one of my constituents who drives a car, yeah. rides a school bus, goes on vacation on a plane somewhere, goes back and forth to the home district from Washington D.C. Whatever it is, it's increasing the cost of of everything. In a sense, it's a perfect storm because people, you know, it's a complicated issue that there's an oncoming train. They're on the tracks. They don't know what they're. Um, it, it reminds me of of of. Um, a movie when the meteors come into the earth and they're just going about their daily uh, their daily jobs. Let me bring into to the broadcast uh, Mike Capone. Mike, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Tell me what's on your mind. Well, my mind on uh, my mind is really just uh, what you just mentioned: the jobs, right? Between this facility and the Paulsboro facility, uh, PBF employs 750 people, direct employees. About 500 of those are union members. In addition to that, we bring in probably about 350 to 400 building and trades contract uh, employees to support us. Their jobs are at risk. If we can't get this program right-sized, their jobs are at risk. That's what's on my mind. And, and, and you know, it's, it's something that is, um, you know, it's, it, it's easily... You know, it, it, it's easily remedied, but at the same time, when it, one of the, one of the uh, frustrating things is that you have other entities. Just to th you know, you know, having having entities, foreign entities that could be, um, you know, impacting us. I mean, look, yep. uh, you know, if we don't care about ourselves, uh, you know, and, and and we're not smart enough to understand that we're giving up our own jobs, and and to, but we're going to give up our our. our um, Independence and put our national security at risk. These are real issues, and we we had to see what just happened with the with the, with the uh, pipeline shut down right. and how crippling it was. We didn't see it here in the Northeast because you guys right. at this table were operating. Correct. But down south, they saw it. John Bland was telling us he, he was he was uh, we were on vacation and, and was running out of gas and didn't have a place to lines are around the corner. That's right. Mm -hmm. And people don't really you know they don't often get to you know understand something until it bites them in the butt. Right. Um, so, so as, as far, yeah, go ahead. So on that note, I think it's important to understand or recognize that over the last year, uh, more than a million barrels of refining capacity have been shut down in the United States. But over in, in China, they're, they've been building between 2019 and this year, 2.4 million barrels of refining capacity. And, and they've been, most of them have been given export licenses. So it, when you when you step back and look at that bigger energy policy perspective for, for the United States, you know you get off 
the RFS and Rinsanity and into the energy policy, and you see that we're, we, the imports are increasing. Uh, we're becoming more reliant. You see the president reaching out to OPEC, other countries, uh, to increase production, but we have production capacity here. We also have refining capacity that has been shut down. So, so there's, there's a changing dynamic, and all the public knows is when they go to the pump, they can fill up. But what happened when Colonial uh, was, shut, was shut down this year through the ransom, uh, you know, people got a glimpse of what could happen by being reliant on imports, whether it's from imports from the United States, from the Gulf Coast, or imports from uh, out of the country, so, uh, which puts us at a, a risk, uh, as Congressman Norcross pointed out very well. Yeah, I mean it's it's <laughs> it's really mind-boggling. Uh, uh, Michael, yeah, you know one of the things that Mike pointed to was really the transfer of production out of the U.S. overseas, and that brings a whole lot of things uh, you know with it. One that's not really talked about a lot is the environmental implications of that. This program is defended on its face by a lot of people as being you know pro-environmental, right? Uh, having the RINs program in place, having the renewable fuel standard is beneficial to the environment. Part of the issue that I see, though, is we're transferring production... Where we from, can't control it. Yeah, exactly. From facilities that are regulated by our EPA, and we're driven to achieve very high uh, performance standards with respect to emissions. To foreign entities. driven to foreign entities who don't have those same controls in place. We live in a global environment. We talk about global, global climate change. It's not local. It's a, it's a global issue. Absolutely. Uh, Adam? No, I think Mike brings up a very good point. I mean, look, if we shut down more refining capacity here in the United States and we become more reliant, as Mike said, on these export refineries from China and India and other places, what are we really doing for kind of the greener fuels future or the betterment of the environment that we all talk about each and every day? You know, producing those vital products right here in America under the regulations that Mike just talked about is vitally important and necessary to, to preserve our, our way of life and, and to do better by our environment. Let those things be produced here instead of relying on, uh, you know, imports. And I think, you know, last point, uh, you know, the pandemic showed us that having a secure domestic supply chain is really vitally important to our energy and national security. And to give that up is just crazy. Great stuff from Adam Gattuso from Monroe Energy, Government Affairs and Communication. Adam, well done. Thank you for being here for this uh, two-hour special. Mike Karlovich, thank you very much. Good stuff, good input from Mike's, the VP of Communication at PBF Energy, and then, of course, Mike Capone. Uh, the first one to arrive this morning was Mike Capone. The last one to leave will be Mike Capone, <laughs> refinery manager, Delaware City uh, Refining Company. We'll take our final commercial break uh, here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. On the other side... We'll wrap it up with John Bland. Back in a moment. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by Ironworkers Local 401, Boilermakers Local 13, Plumbers Local 690, and IBEW Local 98. Choose a Local 98 contractor. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm back here on The Labor Show with J-Doc and Krause. J-Doc, two-hour energy special. We covered a lot of ground. I hope... 
be covered enough but for I, the listening audience to understand and to get it. Yeah, I, but I want listeners to understand and I want our, our political leaders to understand that we're just beginning this process right now and we're not stopping. And, and when I say just beginning, obviously we're in the middle of this, but this is an important life impacting situation and we're not going away either. <laughs> And so neither, obviously, this this has to be remedied. Uh, obviously, we're going to close up with, with, with John Bland and Herman uh, Seedorf. Um, John, uh, you know, as somebody who represents uh, hundreds of thousands of workers, um, you know, close up. Give us give us your your, your closing thoughts here and, 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 and what your hopes are. Well, my closing thoughts with this, Joe, right now is we're fighting for industry in the United States, keeping our energy independence alive. And this doesn't have to change. You know, everybody knows that this Fed, RFS program is broken and it needs to be fixed. And I've said it many times over the last year about changing the point of obligation. This should never have been traded as a commodity, manipulating the price. And anybody could see that. If you want to take a look at the EPA regulated website with the RFS, this has been millions of invalid RINs sold on the market over the years. I mean, this is a little bit of fraudulent also that's going on. And what happens, even some of these refiners that may buy these RINs, they're still responsible for the obligation, even though they bought invalid RINs. So this has got to stop also. I mean, we got a broken program that's putting members and people out of business. All right. And no, no question about it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's unbelievable that this can happen in America. And at, at this point, something's got to happen. Uh, Herman Seedorf, if you would, um, you know, close the show for us, sir. Uh, uh, closing words. Well, I, ha- I have to close the show with a thank you. I got to thank you guys for, uh, for surf- letting us surface this uh, important issue for us. So, and our partnership with labor is just invaluable to us. You know, Joe, you, you said, um, well, what are you doing to make sure that this thing is heard and something is being done? And I can tell you, we have some strong political and government allies. But when we speak, we speak as PBF Energy, and we have a voice that's just so loud. But when labor speaks, labor speaks with a very loud voice, and your voice is invaluable in terms of getting, helping us get this thing resolved. So I can, I just have to say thank you to John Bland. He's put unbelievable amount of time and effort into this thing. Uh, he's been just uh, a rock star. And I want to thank Mike Hackendorm. I want to thank all of the labor folks who've been involved in this thing. I, I assure you, if we make progress, labor will have been a huge uh, reason we made progress. And I also want to acknowledge our United Steelworkers, the people that work in the refinery. They have also done yeoman's work in trying to surface this as well. So without that type of partnership, we would not, we would, we would not have a chance at winning this thing. So thank you for the partnership. Great stuff. Jay Doc, I, I saved 15 seconds for oh. you to, to put a recap on. I'm proud to be a part of this. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's Joe, it's, it's, it's great to be able to be a mouthpiece to let people know what's going on, how it impacts, impacts our everyday lives, how it can impact our country. Um, call to action. Call your, uh, your, 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 your political leaders. Uh, go to the website. Uh, I'm going to give out the website, Jay Doc. It's fuelingusjobs.com. And I'm also going to get this podcast to Adam, 
and I want to get it up on the website in its entirety, and then we'll also break the audio out into segments that we can categorize and put there for people to listen. And I want to shout out and get, give a thanks to Lisa Lindsay for helping us put this all together. Uh, certainly, uh, we appreciate that, and that's uh, why we're all able. And, 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 uh, well, you're a handful, J Doc. I mean, if, you know, if it's, and the hospitality uh, from PBF uh, and, and, and obviously the Delaware City uh, Refinery, uh, you guys have been great, and we're happy to be a part of this. Uh, you went over your 15 seconds, but thank you very much, J Doc. Uh, before we uh, say goodbye here on the Labor Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, special thanks, Herman Seedorf, Senior Vice President and Head of Refining for PBF Energy, Congressman Donald Norcross, First Congressional District of New Jersey, Brendan Williams from PBF Energy, Head of Government uh, Relations, Adam Gattuso from Monroe Energy, the Government Affairs and Communications, uh, John Bland, of course, Business Manager, Boilermakers, uh, Local 13. Well done, Johnny. Thank you very much. Mike, Hike, Mike Hackendorn, VP Delaware Building Trades, and, of course, the Business Manager of Steamfitters Local 74, Mike Karlovich, the VP of Communications at PBF Energy, and Mike Capone, the Refinery Manager and Delaware City, uh, or here with Delaware City. Great stuff, great guest list, great lineup today, uh, and I thank everybody. And, of course, I second Lisa. Well done. Uh, nice job by you. When you can manage J-Doc the way you have done over the last four days, uh, that's impressive. That's going to do it for this edition of The Labor Show here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, on behalf of all of our listeners and all of our guests um, here participating in The Energy Show, I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.